Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. This is our new Wednesday show. It'll appear every week on this feed, and it's going to be really fun. It's going to be a deep dive into one topic every single week, and we're going to start with the biggest topic in the league right now, which is who can beat the Kansas City Chiefs specifically in the AFC. It is the problem that is keeping every GM and coach up at night. If you're in the AFC right now, it's the fact that Patrick Mahomes is under contract for another nine years. They solved their offensive line problem. They have one of the best offensive minds in football as head coach, and they have talent at basically every level of the football field. We wanted to bring in some experts, four of the best football thinkers going right now. We're talking to Chiefs beat writer Nate Taylor and Chiefs fan and data genius Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. And then to talk about the rest of the AFC and how the Chiefs could potentially be toppled and if they can be toppled and what lessons teams can learn, we brought in Shil Kapati from The Athletic and Marcel Louis-Jacques, who covers the Dolphins for ESPN and has also covered the Buffalo Bill. I wanted to figure out, A, what the 2021 Chiefs will look like and how they got to this point, and B, who can beat them, what lessons can teams take from them, and just in general, What's this going to look like? Now, I know there's an obvious answer to the question, who can beat the Chiefs? The answer is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who did so in the last game that we all watch. That obviously was a different situation. They fixed their offensive line since then. Um, Patrick Mahomes was banged up. And they still might beat the Kansas City Chiefs this year because they brought everybody back in Tampa Bay. They're a juggernaut as well. But nobody seems more set up for consistent success over the next decade than the Kansas City Chiefs. And we wanted to do a deep dive into how that happened and where everybody else in the league goes from here to combat that. Let's get started. Joined by two of the smartest Chiefs observers and football observers in the world, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus and Nate Taylor, the Chiefs beat writer for The Athletic. Uh, I want to start with you, Nate. When you saw what happened in February, and we've all heard the story now that Brett Beach saw 
Patrick Mahomes in an elevator bank after the game and said, we're going to fix this. Um, what are the most important things that the Chiefs did over the past couple of months to improve their team beyond the obvious? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. A lot of it goes to not being afraid to completely revamp, not being afraid to try to extend this you know, championship window for the Chiefs. And so, you know, in March, they made some tough decisions where Eric Fisher was one of the better left tackles. Uh, they released him, you know, as he's recovering from an Achilles injury. Mitchell Schwartz um, was contemplating retirement already after having his back injury in October. They release him and they just become ultra re- aggressive. And I think that's what Veach has sort of always been known for. Um, they are capable of trying to improve both the roster and maintaining cap flexibility, for lack of a better word, um, moving forward. And so I think the biggest thing that they did this year was they improved not only the offensive line, but I think, you know, for your listeners, they also improved the defensive line. I mean, they signed Jaron Reed to a one-year deal. He could have an impact this season because that allows Chris Jones to move from primarily defensive tackle to being this hybrid pass rusher at the defensive end. And so if there's real improvement on this Chiefs team, it will come up front on both sides of the ball. Eric, I want to talk about the front office and their willingness to sort of go for it because I've talked to Veach about this in the past. I think we all have at some point where he's basically saying we're we're not going to they're going to go all in every year and they're going to they're going to spend to the cap. They're obviously have cost control with their quarterback. Um but when you think about how they're maximizing their window and sort of what they're doing to compete every single year is are the front offices is the front office making the right moves for this sort of roster year in or year out? Would there, is there a different approach they should be taking, or, or is this are they on the right path right now? Well, I think that they get a lot of leeway and a lot of freedom because of Pat's contract. I right. mean, uh, Mahomes' contract is is very friendly to them. Um, he, you know, the hardest problem in football, and I think football analytics is deciding whether or not your quarterback is worth that veteran deal. I think Mahomes right. is the biggest slam dunk. That has happened in a long time. And Mm -hmm. unlike with Josh Allen, let's say, or or some of these other guys, there really is no question that they're getting a value here. And so when I look at the the Orlando Brown trade, I personally don't think the Orlando Brown trade was positive expected value for the Chiefs. But what I do think it does is it pays Mahomes back for being generous to Kansas City, right? So he gives them that, uh, that affordability. Joe Tooney, like, look, a guard is not spending that much money on a guard is rarely ever going to end up giving surplus value. But again, you're giving back to Pat and I think making him happy, making him, making it such that you never end up with an Aaron Rodgers situation is extremely important. And so again, they do that. And again, it makes sense that they're doing stuff to help Mahomes. Um, so, so I, you know, I don't mind them going for it. I think that it has to be part of an understanding with Pat and with the, the front office that, like, if you guys want to compete for a Super Bowl all the time, the, your contract has to be this kind of flexible thing that is, you know, is something to everybody every single year in a different way. Um, but I, I agree with Nate. I think, you know, when you look at some of this stuff, like, they've, they've hit, you know, um, they've hit on some things that are kind of, like, valuable, like corner, where they're not spending a lot of money and they're mm-hmm. not, um, you know, they, it, they didn't have to trade anything to get to where they are. So then they've loaded up on positions where they've been historically a little bit weaker, like interior defensive line, uh, as well as offensive line. And to me, the scary part for the league is that they've made three straight AFC championship games yeah. and two Super Bowls in a row. 
And they really, outside of Mahomes, have really donked every draft that they've had since <laughs> 2018. And you look at this draft, and it's like the three players on the right side of their offensive line are all on rookie deals. And and if they're all good, yeah, they have such a bounty. And then and and as Nate said, you look at the interior of the defensive line now. If you even if you throw Chris Jones out of the mix and make him a defensive end, they have four guys there who could be pretty good. And and yeah. so. Um, and not to mention Willie Gay, who I think Nate Nate mentioned was one of the better looking players in the entire preseason for them until he got injured. Nick Bolton's a good pick. Like they could really like run up a, a streak of luck here that kind of yeah. puts the league at arm's length, which is crazy. Hey, Nate, you're a practice every single day. And I've mm-hmm. been to two practices over the past three years. And so you know this much better than I do, but I'm watching their practices as something special. I mean, they just get stuff done. And people mentioned me, there's never any practice fights. There's never any, they don't stop it to do some circusy motivational speech. Andy Reid just puts the plays in and then they go. And the business-like atmosphere is kind of admirable. Um, But I'm curious what the vibes have been like the past couple of of months in Kansas City after that game and knowing what they know, which is that they ran out of linemen. So they've kind of built an excuse, but it doesn't help matters. And I I talked to Patrick about him rewatching the Super Bowl just for for an education process, obviously. You can read that story on TheRinger.com. But I'm curious, just from an emotional standpoint, what what training camp and, and the first couple weeks of practice in Kansas City have been like. Yeah. Uh, by the way, it was great to have you in St. Joseph. It was hot. Thank you. Uh, it was a great piece you wrote. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, yeah, the the atmosphere, I would say, is one of they are so workmanlike. They are so yeah. efficient, like w- like talking to other reporters around the league, obviously getting to look at the hard knocks with the Cowboys and other you know video entities with other teams. Um, they are so sure of what they want to get done every day that there really isn't a wasted motion. They were on reps at a point that is almost blistering. Um, One of the funny things from Jaron Reed, and I've seen this every training camp where you bring in a new guy. He's already talented. He's already had success in the league. This happened with Frank Clark in 2018, Tyron Matthew as well. Uh, Jaron Reed, man, goes, they they, they run so many plays. Like, I'm just... I'm just so tired. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what what do you mean? Why, Why would I get upset with Andrew Wiley or why would I get upset with Creed Humphrey when Andy's just going to say next play? And I think for Patrick Mahomes, a lot of it is the freedom to experiment. And that's the beauty of training camp for the Chiefs is um, by the time people are listening to this, obviously the game plan is already put in place. They kind of already know what they think will work against the Cleveland Browns. But the first two weeks of training camp is so much fun because I'm never seeing the same thing twice. And I just think that is extremely rare for an NFL training camp because they're able to get the stuff much faster. And that, in essence, leads to why they're so successful in September, most notably. Patrick Mahomes has never lost a game in September. He's never thrown an interception. I mean, the guy has gone through just about every game-like scenario mm-hmm. as you get to week one. And I'm just not sure, Kevin, how many teams are week one ready in that capacity. Andy Reid in September with Patrick Mahomes, just unbelievable record. Um, So I, I want to do the team building thing. I want to do all the smart shit, but I need to ask you this. Is Patrick Mahomes, who practices behind the back passes a lot in practice, is he ever going to throw one in a game? Yes. It's going to happen. I, I agree. I agree. I, 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 agree. I, don't, know, I don't know when it's going to happen, Kevin, but I, he threw he threw one to Eric Bieniemy where it was just like, <laughs> I, I can see this. I can see... You know, Tyreek Hill always does this sort of quick motion, this jet sweep yeah, yeah. stuff. 
I can see that a, you know, <laughs> pass run option where yeah. the running back goes the opposite direction and he throws the ball behind his back. I mean, what's the what's the defense supposed to do? I don't know when it's going to run, but I, I won't be stunned, even though, you know, 70,000 people in the stands. I, I only say that because it, it, he, he, he says he wants to test the limits in practice and he practices everything else. But then he's like, well, I practice this, but I'm never going to do it in a game. You've done everything else, Patrick. You, I, I'm calling you out, buddy. You're going to run it. Eric. Uh, what is the gap? So first of all, let, let's just actually work on the biggest question, which is, are the Chiefs the best team in football in 2021? Yeah, I think it's, and I actually think it's somewhat sizable. Our power right, rankings have them like a few, like they're, they're, you're not going to separate teams by points, like full point. Um, but if you look at, you know, our power ranking for Kansas City um, has them, you know, two and a half, three points better than Tampa Bay. Um, it's two and a half points. So they are they are the best team in the NFL. They're the favorites to win the Super Bowl. Um, and they probably will be for the next decade, every single year. Um, I think this this year, Tampa does have a little bit of a claim, whereas a season ago, yeah. it was kind of the Ravens, maybe San Francisco early on. Uh, we sort of saw the flaws in that team. Um, this season, I think it is Tampa. And the only thing that would make, make me a little worried about the Chiefs coming out of the AFC would be that Tampa has a far easier road to come out of the NFC. Yeah. And so if they get a one seed and like, let's say we rerun the Super Bowl again, I think the Chiefs are still three point favorites like they were coming, you know, in February. But it's, it's going to, I, I worry about as a Chiefs fan, I'm worried about Tampa Bay more than anybody else in the entire NFL, even though the AFC is a lot harder. So I want to stick on that because you mentioned the, the decade thing and maybe they're just permanently going to be there. Um, if we're looking out on the horizon, what kind of, external dangers are there? I mean, as long as they have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, it seems like there's they're going to be good forever. But if you're saying, hey, they really need to watch this, or on the flip side, a team needs to do this to get better. I mean, I talked to Brandon Bean about this a couple of weeks ago, where they're basically, they drafted to beat the Chiefs. Um, and I'm curious, as this evolves, um, what the Chiefs need to do to kind of maintain that edge and what they need to watch out for, for how other teams are building their teams. Well, there's a couple of things. I think it's really, I think the the brilliance of Andy Reid is what Nate talked about, which is that they haven't lost a, they haven't started anything worse than 4-0 since 2016. Right. So like, <laughs> and they come out of the gate really, they come ridiculous. out of the gate with Andy, like seven months of just cooking things up. And like, I have a metric called scheme uniqueness, which like always peaks like week three when they bomb Baltimore every single year. But it's like, and then the rest of the league tries to catch up to Reed, right? They, they run right. more motions. They run more RPOs. They, and, and then like Reed, they, they sort of like, so his scheme uniqueness kind of falls back to the pack because everybody's literally chasing him around. And then in the playoffs, it goes back up because he cooks up new stuff. And usually the Chiefs in December are playing less meaningful games than other teams. So then he's kind of like game planning for January in December, which is kind of cool. Um, so in that regard, like teams that are drafting to beat the Chiefs, I think are like, aiming at the wrong target because yeah. Reed is constantly moving that target. And that's what I think will make them, you know, tough to beat. To me, the biggest flaw in Kansas City right now and what could hurt them is that their passing game depends very heavily on two uh, very brilliant players who might be the one of the best tight end wide receiver combos in league history, but that, you know, that's not going to be there forever. And, right. you know, they, they tried Sammy Watkins. You know, obviously they traded up for McCole Hardman. I actually think Hardman's lived up to his draft position. It was just lofty, you know, because he was drafted before Metcalf. They, 
they need to develop skill position players beneath those mm-hmm. guys so that when Kelsey eventually, you know, isn't as explosive as he, as he once was, or Hill, you know, you know, declines just a little bit, like, I'd, I'd hate to see them like the Colts, right? Where, like, T.Y. Hilton had a great career, and, and you're trotting him out there in his 30s, and he's still your number one receiver, and, that, and, and he gets injured or something, and you're stuck with no one behind him. Like, I think right. that's the biggest leak for me is, like, is can they develop weapons for Pat as Pat, you know, sort of gets into the middle of that contract? And I will say with Hardman in particular, I think that we now pencil in any weapon for, that Mahomes has for like this happened with uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire as well, where it's like, oh, rookie of the year. Like, I think everybody who's a skill guy who gets put in with Mahomes is just penciled in for rookie of the year. Nate, help me out on the offense here. If you took out Hill and or Kelsey, like wh- who is who is the Jenga piece that is that is more important of that? If we're looking in the next decade, uh, which guy needs to stay more relevant in the offense for this thing to really hum? I think it's Travis Kelsey, um, a guy that's already a Hall of Famer. Um, right. I mean, he's had five straight seasons. I, I just looked this up: five straight seasons of at least a thousand yards um, as a tight end. <laughs> I look, look, I, I know it's a passing league, but that's that's wild. No one in league history, by the way, has ever done that. Not even Gronk, obviously not Tony Gonzalez, not Antonio Gates. Um, the flexibility they have from a scheme standpoint and putting Kelsey out wide. And I want to remind people, uh, one of Travis Kelsey's best plays last season was in the divisional round against the Cleveland Browns. Denzel Ward is with him on the outside. Yeah. Denzel Ward should, should be fine. It should be a wash. Um Travis Kelsey cooks him. He scores a touchdown. <laughs> um, what I always try to remind people, too, is um, there have been games without Tyreek Hill that the Chiefs have still operated right. at a very functional, above-average level. The issue for Mahomes is, and this is always sort of fascinating to me because we've literally only seen it once, Kevin. He played in Week 17. He made his NFL debut in Week 17 in 2017 with Alex Smith already clinching the Chiefs their playoff spot. And that game was without Travis Kelsey. Since that game, every time Patrick Mahomes has been on the field, Travis Kelsey's been on the field. So Mm. anytime you have a third and eight, as much as I know fans think, oh, my God, that's the fastest guy on the field. Like, everybody be aware of him. Most of the times, the security blanket is Travis Kelsey. Most of the time, the player who's going to dictate the coverage, the look, the read is Travis Kelsey. Because unless you're, you know, insert incompetent defensive coordinator who's playing single high coverage. There's a lot of those. There's a lot of those going around. Hence why I said insert whoever you want. Uh, If you're not playing single high, which is the dumbest thing to play against the Chiefs, then everything else depends on Travis Kelsey and his ability to work the middle, to run these these deep crossing routes, these, I mean, these out and ups that he ran when they won the Super Bowl in 2019 that are just just mind-boggling at his size, at his speed. And I need to remind folks, too, that Travis Kelsey's 31. So, at some point, it's got to taper off. Uh, McCole Harmon needs to have a breakout season, in my opinion, for this Chiefs offense to stay at nuclear levels. Um, but I think the biggest key is Travis Kelsey. Well, and and right. you bring up you brought up 2017. I mean, the Alex Smith era ended because Kelsey got a concussion against the Titans. Right, they're up 21 three in that playoff game, mm-hmm. and he has to sit out the second half, and they literally don't score another point. Like his importance. I mean, he he's one of the best tight ends in league history. And, you know, there is there is some worry that as he, like he does so many things with his athleticism, he's not a big guy. Right? It's one of the reasons why the Chiefs struggle in the red zone relative to how good they are in the in between the 20s 
is Kelsey's not a box out tight end. He's a get open tight end. And with, when there's less space, like it's just not as effective in the middle of the field. Like he's the best separator at the position, probably in league history. And it, you know, if that, if that diminishes even a little bit, like, you know, it, it could hurt the offense. Uh, Nate, how aware, I mean, obviously, look, I, obviously they're going to, the Veach and Reed and his guys and Brand Tillis are going to look at other rosters and say, you know, we can, we got to beat these guys or, or match up to it. But how much do you think that they think about kind of keeping that edge and playing the chess match to beat a, a Bills or a Browns or a Ravens? Are they reactive, proactive? Um, I guess, how do they view the rest of the AFC? I guess is the question. Yeah, let, let's talk about it because it, it's a roster construction that year over year, I think, slightly changes. Um, yeah. Everything was so in front of everybody's eyes in February that it's like, let's just improve ourselves because we know, as Eric mentioned, as you've mentioned, Kevin, they have the best quarterback. They have the best asset in the NFL right now. One of the fun parts about 2018 and how they were ahead of schedule because Mahomes was just incredible that year was okay, we need to go chase down the Patriots. A lot of things were, hey, how do we beat Tom Brady? Oh, yeah. There's this whole notion that, uh, you know, the Patriots played ball control. Brady was excellent for a half in the AFC Championship game in 2018. They obviously get the coin toss and they win. And so they had to revamp the entire defense for a rushing attack, a ball control, yeah. you know, obviously ability to be more successful in the red zone, as Eric mentioned before. And then one of the more surprising things was Lamar Jackson just burst at an impressive clip, they win the number one seed in the AFC. So a lot of times your planning for the offseason can literally change midway through the next season because obviously teams rise and teams fall. Um, they kept everybody back, similar to what Tampa Bay did after the 2019 mm-hmm. championship season. And the thought process there was, you know, Clark Hunt made a, and this is the team owner, Clark Hunt made a decision that he wanted to win back-to-back Super Bowls, that they made it clear to everybody in the organization, let's be with the first team since the Patriots of 2002 and 2000, uh, excuse me, 2003, 2004, to win back-to-back championships. Now they've obviously reversed course. I think they are aware of the Bills. I think they know the Bills are chasing them, similar to how they chased the Patriots um, in 2017 and 2018. My fun question to ask you fellas is, is that as they built this roster, as you understand Mahomes' deal can always be sort of shifted in the way the cal- yeah. the salary cap is going to go. I-, I just wonder how much can they maintain uh, a average to above average defense yeah. because eventually that may be the thing that that I think the NFL is kind of wishing for. Like, hey, maybe Tyron <laughs> Matthew, maybe yeah. Tyron Matthew's not going to play at an all-pro level. You know, uh, who knows if this Chris Jones experiment works. Um, they have to go young pretty often. Uh, and sometimes, as Eric mentioned earlier, they have not made the right draft picks or those picks have just not worked out based on scheme or whatever the situation is on the defensive side of the ball. So the offense, I don't really question because Veach has a really good eye, Ryan Poles, uh, yeah. Mike Bradway. Their, their front office has a very good feel of what Andy wants on offense. It's just how long will Steve Spagnuolo be the defensive coordinator and can they maintain a championship, you know, complementary defense yeah. moving forward? Eric? Well, I think you're a great question, especially, and, and Nate brings this up. It's like, they they sometimes draft differently than what Spagnola wants on that defense, which is sort of like you look at the linebacker position and like, you know, Ben Neiman's like a nice story, but like the guy's played dime linebacker for three years and hasn't broken up a pass, you know, like he literally has zero and they've, they've gone out and gotten, you know, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton 
as guys to compliment, and they've always almost always preferred Anthony Hitchens and you know the Damian Wilsons of the world. And you know, I, I wonder how congruent that drafting is with what Spagnola wants, because that's really going to have to be what the what it is. Like Nate's right, I, I I view it a little bit more positively in the sense that. Uh, two years from now, the Anthony Hitchens contract, the Frank Clark contract are probably going to be off the books. They can sort of shape the defense the way they want to. But one of the reasons they went up and got Frank Clark is they've been utterly unsuccessful at drafting <laughs> edge players for, for a, you know, the better part of a decade. And, and, and they had, they felt like they had to get an elite guy there. And to me, like, uh, that is a good question. How, you know, once Matthew's gone, once, you know, once Chris Jones maybe isn't like John Randall, like in the middle for them, what happens to their defense? Um, but, you know, and, and also how long does Spags want to do it? Because I, I firmly believe that Spagnolo has been an amazing player, or amazing, you know, guy for them, getting players in positions to succeed when the draft capital or, you know, free agent status would not necessarily imply that. Okay. So, first of all, Spagnola is 61 years old. So, at some point over the lifetime of the deal, we, we can, you know, Reed has told Mahomes he's going to be there for the next 10 years. That isn't the case for everybody on staff. Yeah. All right. We will get you both out on this question. What is the number of Super Bowls over the life of Patrick Mahomes' contract, so the next 10 years, that you feel is a success for the Kansas City Chiefs? Nate? This sounds low, but I just want to remind people the numbers two. If they get two more two super more, two if more. they get okay. yeah, if they get two more, he already has one. If they get two more over the life of this deal, that is a massive success. And I know folks will say, Well, Tom Brady has seven. I mean, you know, but Aaron Rodgers only has one. And as Eric mentioned before, so much of this moving forward beyond just this season is making sure the relationship, the rapport, um, the understanding from both sides how do you remain competitive in a league that is designed to not have you win multiple championships? I mean, there's there's a case we made that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes could get to Belichick Brady levels. There, there's an argument mm-hmm. to be made there. But honestly, Kevin, I, I, I'm a nerd about NFL history. <laughs> Troy Aikman won three Super Bowls, okay? Um, anytime anybody wins four, I think it's just legendary status, and obviously Mahomes has the talent to do it. But I say two is the is the appropriate number. Eric, yeah, if I were a sports book setting a line, I would say one and a half. I think Nate's. I think Nate's right. I mean, as a as somebody who's a fan, I think zero or one would would tick me off a little bit. Two <laughs> two would still be disappointing, but probably right. You know, like and that and then. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, if he gets four Super Bowls, like we just look, you look at the history of the league, and it's not that many guys. Um, and, and you know, and it just so much has to go right. I mean, I think the Chiefs are in a position much like the Patriots were over the last decade, where every year they're they're playing a they have a bye or something equivalent now. Yeah. And, and so they're they're a team for which only one lucky thing has to happen for them to win the Super Bowl, whereas everybody else, it's like two or three lucky things have to happen. So they put themselves in a good spot, but it's as we saw last year, a lot has to go right to win that game, um, and and so I would I I think two is probably the right number as well. Nate Taylor, Eric Eager, thank you for joining us. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. We're bringing Shilkapati from The Athletic and Marcel, Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN, the new Dolphins beat writer, but longtime Buffalo Bills beat writer. And so the topic of this show is, can anybody beat the Chiefs, especially in the AFC? And, and kind of everything that goes along with that in the 2021 season where they're the heavy favorite, especially to win the conference. And I'm curious, Marcel, uh, having now covered two AFC teams, how in... How in the heads rent-free are the Chiefs of these AFC-type teams? You know, I talked to Brandon Bean a couple weeks ago who's talking about basically drafting off of the AFC title game where they couldn't get pass rush, and so they got Rousseau, and, and that's something they thought about. They looked at that more than the entire 2020 season um, as a whole. And I'm curious, uh, how much are those teams uh, staying up at night thinking about how to beat the Chiefs? I mean, there's this stigma attached to a team being in your head or a team that you lose to <laughs> remaining in your head. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to win a Super Bowl in the AFC, you're going to have to beat the Chiefs. So it, yeah. it makes a whole lot of sense to draft and to build your team around beating the best team in the conference. And I think that's exactly what the Bills did. That's all they heard about from you know myself and my, my colleagues, my peers, all offseason and all summer was, uh, you know, how much does that game stick in your head? And sometimes they just say it unprompted. Like it's very yeah. much fresh in their mind. Uh, everybody except Stefan Diggs, who had that, that, you know, awesome, I think award winning photo, uh, you know, hands on his helmet, staring at the celebration after the AFC title game. Right. He said he doesn't need reminders, but, uh, you know, for the other 52 guys on that roster right now, I think that it's pretty fresh in the mind. 
All right, Shield, big question. How does a team in the AFC build to beat the Chiefs? Uh, I think you build the offense. You got to go toe to toe with them. You've got to be able to score. You cannot play scared. You know, I think that was one of the things that, you know, Marcel uh, brought up the bills there. Like in that AFC championship game, I thought that their sort of game management was not who they were the entire season. You know what? They, they settled for field goals. I think it was three times on fourth and three and under. Like you got to go in there with a realistic expectation of if you can stop Patrick Mahomes or not. Now, if you're the Bucs in the Super Bowl and the Chiefs offensive line is banged up and you've got a great defense and a great pass rush, all right, that's fine. You know what? Most most of the time, that's not going to be the case. Like, the guy's going to score. So I think you look at it defensively, the approach has to be, you know, we'll we'll play with two deep safeties. We'll try to disguise mm-hmm. our coverages. Let's make them work for it as much as we can. They're still, you know, you could line like seven guys at the goal line and Andy Reid is still going to be pushing the ball downfield. So like that, that's why he's a great offensive coach, but like, that's the mindset to me. So you've got to have the offense that can just score on every drive. You've got to be able to go, go for touchdowns. And then defensively, you've got to try to get lucky, steal a possession here and there, make them work for it, get a sack, turnover, whatever. To me, that's the formula. And I think the bills approach has been great. I mean, they built up, the offensive line, the weapons. They said, put our quarterback in position to succeed. Now they're in position to have a top five offense and kind of compete with Kansas City. Marcel, who's the second best team in the AFC right now? I think it's got to be Cleveland. Just the way that they've built that roster up and kind of stockpiled all of this talent over the past several seasons. Uh, You know, I, I think with Baker Mayfield, he came to the league with such a bang. I do kind of think that he entered the league at his peak. I don't know how much better he's going to get than that rookie season, but I don't think he necessarily has to be with Kevin Stefanski's offense. It's going to revolve around Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt in that run game first. And uh, I don't think Nick Chubb's going anywhere anytime soon. That guy's only getting better. The defense is excellent. Miles Garrett is a terror. Um, they've improved the secondary a bit over the past couple of years. So, you know, all signs are pointing to it. But going to Shields' point, in terms of, uh, you know, just going blow for blow with Kansas City, I don't think that can, I don't think Cleveland is built for that. Uh, mm. I, I think, it, I think Cleveland's best chance at beating Kansas City is classic ball control. Like, like mm-hmm. I said, it, their offense revolves around that ground game. Keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes hands as much as humanly possible. I don't know if that's going to work, but I think that is their best shot at being able to do it. Uh, in terms of just, you know, all out aerial attack besides the Bills, um, I think that, that, uh, Tennessee is, is quietly, you know, quietly Ooh. built to go blow for blow with the Chiefs just because, you know, they, they can do whatever whatever you want. They can play the ball control game with uh, the mountain they have and shoulder pads in the backfield, or they can air the ball out with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Ryan Tannehill is a capable passer. So there are a couple teams that are, that you know, in theory could beat the Chiefs, but besides Buffalo, I, I don't know if I am confidently, you know, if, if I would confidently put money on any of them to do so. Shield, I like the Tennessee Marcella suggestion. Is there anybody else, whether that's Tennessee or anybody else, that we're not even thinking about that's not on the radar? Because I think that we we view this, and maybe it's just me, but I feel like the media hive mind goes Kansas City up top, and then there's a, a grouping of Buffalo, Baltimore, maybe Cleveland in that, and maybe Cleveland's on a third tier alone. Um, but nobody talks about Tennessee. Nobody talks about the Patriots. Nobody talks about M- Miami, for instance. Um, it just feels like that's the conversation. Is the conversation wrong about who can win the AFC? 
No, I think that's the right pecking order. I think yeah. you go Chiefs, and then, and then you do have that next tier with Buffalo, Cleveland, and Baltimore. That makes sense to me. Now, after that, uh, a team you didn't mention, if we want to go deep sleeper and, and offer some hot takes on this with the team that I think could be this year's version of the Buffalo Bills, and I know they're cursed every year, but the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers yep. have the potential to have that ceiling where they're scoring 30-plus points a game. I mean, it will be no surprise if we hit December, January, and we say Justin Herbert is one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. They've unlocked him. They're not running into the line of scrimmage on first and second down like they did last year and asking him to be Superman on third down. Hey, their offensive line kind of came together a little bit. It's not a great offensive line, but it's mediocre. And can this team beat the Chiefs in a one-game situation? in January like I'm not that's not the most likely outcome but uh if you're looking at teams below the ones we just mentioned that's the one that I've kind of gone all in on that I'm going to get old takes exposed on probably in October <laughs> but uh, but that's the one that, that I've gone on all, all in on and I do believe it so it's going to be Marcel and I smashing the retreat for your for your terrible charges takes so I will say oh, I so like on the LA Times in the LA Times today, uh, Brandon Staley actually said he's taking that on head, head first and is talking to his team about how everybody thinks they're cursed and he's trying to move past it. So he is the first coach to acknowledge at least the perception <laughs> that the Los Angeles Chargers are cursed. Um, Marcel, I want to talk about quarterbacks here for a second. Um, let's stick with Josh Allen since, since obviously he spent the last couple of years with him. What kind of does he need to get better? for them to be able to topple the the Kansas City Chiefs? Does he need to just sustain his level? Are you expecting regression? What are the Josh Allen expectations for you in 2021? I mean, it, there's kind of a wide spectrum here. I think the, yes. the, the natural reaction is that there's no way he can sustain that level of play every year, year out. Like, he has to kind of come back down to earth, right? Well, the thing is, he, he did leave a lot of plays on the field at times while, uh, you know, the gunslinger superhero mentality sort of worked out more often than not. There were still a lot of times last year where he's running 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage trying to stiff arm Aaron Donald and, <laughs> and get a pass off. <laughs> Those plays kind of have to go because they set your offense up in, in kind of a, a poor situation. But uh, I, I don't think he necessarily has to make a similar type leap that we saw out of him last season. I think yeah. if he sustains this level of play, man, I, I, I mean, 4,500 yards, 37 touchdowns through the air, that's pretty high level of play. And then you tack another game onto that. I mean, he very realistically could crack that 5,000 yard mark. And, you know, he did have kind of a, kind of a slow stretch that, that slowed his pace down during the middle of the last season. But uh, no, I, I think that uh, it, it's not necessarily Josh Allen. It's Buffalo's run game. There has to be a threat to do something else with the ball because last year you knew whatever the bills were going to do, it was going through Josh Allen. I think it took a couple of people by surprise early on in the year but teams started to get the hang of it toward the middle. If it weren't for that last torrid stretch to end the season, I, I don't know if the Bills would have locked up that two seed. So I, I think if he gets more support from that ground game, if that offensive line stays healthy, then there's not a real lot, a whole lot that he has to do that he has not already done. Uh, I want to talk about front office aggressiveness because you cover a team now that has been aggressive with trades and you obviously covered the Bills who have done the same and gone out and take those big swings. And I'm wondering if you think that the Chiefs' success and the fact that there is something to chase has made teams more aggressive. I wouldn't use the word desperate because they're doing what they need to do. Stephon Diggs' trade was not desperate. Uh, getting, you know, the the, tra the, the Dolphins' trade maneuver uh, in the draft was was not desperate and was pretty smart. And maybe you you criticize their their second trade um with the eagles but that's kind of a separate deal um do you think that that 
that this sort of jockeying in the AFC, Marcel, is making teams more aggressive? I mean, I think so. I think it, it establishes kind of a sense of urgency now because yeah. the Chiefs are on the verge of the dynasty. I mean, if, right. what do you, would, would you call three straight AFC title games a, a dynasty yet? I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe you got to win more Super Bowls in order dynasty. to get that D word. A mini dy- it's a qualified a, dynasty. A, a, a burgeoning dynasty. Like yeah. it, it's it's a budding dynasty. That's the word. Not bur- budding dynasty here. So yeah, I think there is kind of a sense of urgency to nip it in the bud right now. But um, I think it's just the teams not wanting to lose, man. <laughs> like yeah. you can't this league, you know, it's kind of funny when you when you said you call me the longtime Bills reporter. It, I, it kind of is, it feels like a long time in, in this league. Two years feels like a long time. Just like two years of not making the playoffs establishes a sense of urgency in year three to make the playoffs. That's what I think Brian Flores is dealing with here uh, in, in Miami after missing out by one game last year. We don't even need to bring that up. I'm sure Dolphins fans <laughs> already remember what happened. But after missing and winning 10 games, you have to win. You have to yeah. make the playoffs. You have to maybe even win a game this year in order to, to, to keep, that, uh, keep that momentum going what you're building in South Florida. So no, I, I don't know if it's necessarily the chiefs putting their thumb down and putting pressure on everybody, but it does establish kind of a sense of urgency to, to start winning a little bit now. All right, let's get dorky here, Shiel. So there was a blueprint that was shown to the world on how to beat the chiefs. The problem with that blueprint is a, it revolves around an offensive line being completely barren, essentially. Uh, it revolves around things we already knew. I mean, like, it, it is so funny to me. I talk to people about this around the league all the time. It's so funny to me, the narrative, oh, well, you just get four guys to pressure Patrick Mahomes. And then, yeah, no shit. Everybody's trying to get four guys to, you know what, they'd love three guys to pressure Patrick Mahomes and drop eight guys back. I mean, it's just ridiculous yeah. that people think that that is the, the cheat code um, when, A, the Chiefs have gotten their offensive line together and B, that's just what teams are trying to do anyway. Todd Bowles did not invent anything. He, they just executed it very well. He abandoned some of his uh, more core blitz principles, and he was uh, he he was an incredible. He had an incredible game plan for that game. It might not be repeatable with that in, specifically. Is there a scheme shield to stop the Chiefs' offense on a relative basis? Yeah, no, I'm with you on the blueprint thing. Yeah, just go injure their entire offensive line before the <laughs> game, and I swear you'll have a great chance to uh, slow them down, which they, of course, addressed this offseason. I, I mean, I think, you know, the thing that I think you have to do is not do one thing. I mean, it sounds stupid. It sounds simple. You can't have a static defense. You've got to have disguise before the snap. You've got to, you know, muddy the picture for Patrick Mahomes. Like you said, with Todd Bowles, don't just do what is on film, you know, break something out that maybe has not been on film that you have two weeks to play them that you can incorporate into the playbook. You really just have to steal plays and steal possessions. I mean, you're not going to like, like Patrick Mahomes, it's highly unlikely that he's going to average like six yards per attempt and you're going to force like, you know, four, three and outs against them. It, to me, it's more about, our, all right, where can you steal a possession? Where can you steal points? So to me, uh, I would dare them to run the ball. You know, the Bills, uh, I think it was last year, that regular season game, right, where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went off on the Bills and the Bills lost. But I was like, great approach. If you can force Andy <laughs> Reid to, to, to get the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands and hand it to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire 25 times in a game, you know what? I'll live with that. You might get gashed. Maybe you can come up with ways to uh, hold up better up front, but like that's what you want to do. So I think play with two deep safeties as much as possible. Uh, a lot of disguise. 
before the snap and just make them work for it. I mean, can they put together eight, nine, 11 play drives? Yes, they can. But when you're putting together that many plays, there's always that chance that you have a false start that, uh, you know, the left tackle gets beat on that one play that you get a deflection at the line of scrimmage. And so I think that's the approach. It's not always going to work. I mean, you can say that. And then all of a sudden they string together six, 10 play drives and they put 42 points on the board and you say, well, that was a stupid strategy, but it's still the only way to play is to try to take away those big plays from Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, of course, way, way, way easier said than done. Okay. So I'm going to get you guys out of here on a big, broad question. If you got to take your salary and bet it on the Chiefs in the AFC or the field, you are taking what, Shield? I'm taking the Chiefs. You, you know me, I usually like to do the math on this. I wanted to like get my calculator out, look at the Vegas lines. Wait, is this stupid or not? But I guess I'll just go with gut react reactions like NFL coaches on uh, fourth down. And just my gut said, uh, I would rather just have the Chiefs. I mean, it's like Marcel said, they are, if Mahomes is healthy, uh, they're as much of a lock as there is to be playing on championship weekend. And there you're uh, one game away. So I don't think you can say that really about any other team. You're just banking on the quarterback staying healthy. And that's the case for every other team. So uh, I will take the chiefs over the field. Marcel, you got to yeah. buy, you got to buy a Miami condo down there. You got to deal with South Florida <laughs> real estate prices. This is a big decision for you, buddy. I was about to say, I, I can't afford to take risks here, man. I, I got to also <laughs> take the chiefs. I can't even I can't even pretend to take the field right now just for argument's sake. They're too complete. They're too good at their best. And, and like Seal said, you know, if you're relying on, you know, the quarterback not being healthy in order to have your best shot at taking them down, the quarterback wasn't healthy and the Browns still right. couldn't take them down, yeah. man. So <laughs> it, it's it is really hard to bet against the Kansas City Chiefs right now. The only saving grace that the field has is that this is not a, a, a serial league, you know, the, this isn't a best of three, a best of five right. or, or anything. You only have to be better than them one day. And, and anybody can be better than anyone else on any given Sunday or Saturday, depending on when yep. the game is. But uh, so so that that's really the chance that, that the field has is that, you know, you might catch them on an off day. You're just not going to have to beat them three times in a row. But beyond that, man, no, man, you've seen these Miami prices down here. I, I'll be living in a box <laughs> right outside of Hard Rock Stadium if I bet the field. That is one thing. I, when I talked to Veach a couple weeks ago, he actually said no one realizes how bad the toe injury was last year. And that there were, after it got fixed, there were some team doctors who were essentially, or outside doctors saying, I don't know how he was even playing because that, that toe injury was so bad. And so I think people don't realize that they were kind of running on fumes a little bit at the end there and they still made the Super Bowl. So I'm with you. I'll take the Chiefs. I'm I'm willing as the season goes. I'm willing to change with the information, uh, but right now it's it's the Chiefs. Uh, Marcel Shield, follow them. They're both amazing. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thanks, thanks for, having for having me. me. All right, thanks for joining us to Marcel Shield, Eric, and Nate. Next up on this feed, Mallory Rubin and Nora Princiati are going to be talking about Aaron Rodgers. A couple of things on the docket. I'll be on Rusillo on Friday. Uh, we're going to talk. Some Thursday night football between the Bucks and the Cowboys and maybe go abroad a little bit. And on Sunday night, we will be back. Uh, Nora Princiati and I will be the host of the Sunday night show. Uh, ben Solak will be joining us. Steven Ruiz will make an appearance, do something really cool. It's going to be really fun. Uh, two slow news days this week. One of them is with the aforementioned Ryan Rosillo. He talks about his kitchen. He talks about Mac Jones. He talks about uh, Russian literature for a while, just powerhouse appearance. And then we have a second one. I have not recorded with... Uh, 
one of the defining quarterbacks of his generation. So I'm not going to say who it is until the butt is in the seat. Um, but hopefully we get that out by the time you guys hear this. Uh, this has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network.